This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. The words shine the light have certainly taken on a new meaning thanks to a lot of work here in London, Ontario. And we had the 10th annual Shine the Light campaign introduced and it draws our attention to something that most people would not even begin to understand. And that is that there is still violence against women. Still. Why is that? Why, why, do we not have, why do we not have the ability to make this stop? Why do men still do this? And we don't have the answers for that. But there is a series that has started on Global News, and I want to draw your attention to it. And in fact, we're going to speak with the author in just a moment um, because this is, this is something that I think is really well done. And it draws a lot of attention to some things. And one of the reports kind of starts out with a story. And the story is something that does a good job in highlighting what can actually go on in a home. And it's talking about a woman who is from Winnipeg. And in the story, they call her Farah. And she's cooking She's got dozens of family members set to arrive, and she's got a three-year-old daughter. She's pregnant with her second child, and her husband had given her $20 to go and buy some herbs and some spices, all right? So she goes out, in other other words, go and buy a couple other things to finish off making the meal, I guess, and... He finds out that instead of spending $20 on herbs and spices, she spent $22 on herbs and spices. And her husband walks into the kitchen and slaps her across the face. Because she had spent $22 on herbs and spices. Instead of doing what he asked, which was to spend $20 on herbs and spices. That's a real story. That is not made up in any way. That is a real story. And that is one of those things that leaves you saying, how does this happen? Why is this a thing? And there is no good answer because we don't have an answer. $22 instead of $20? And that warrants a slap across the face. And there are women, as we know, because, again, we have evidence in this area. We have heard stories in this area. But it is not just this area. It's not just this area and Winnipeg. This exists absolutely everywhere. And that's why the series, which is called Broken, which you can look up on Global News, is so important to focus in on. Because... This is this is one of those things that lets you into people's worlds and lets you hear things that otherwise we wouldn't even realize existed. Joining us right now is Maham Abedi. And Maham is putting together this global series on violence against women. And it is called Broken. Maham, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. 
that story still that, that just shakes me. You know, the the idea that someone would get slapped across the face for twenty two dollars instead of twenty dollars, and and it it seems to come down to the the perceived disobedience, I suppose, more than anything, doesn't it? Yeah, um, you know, and the story that uh, is in this article is not entirely unique. A lot of the women that um, I spoke to and that other reporters at Global have spoken to for the series, you know, it does come down to things that have to do with, you know, very close relationships that turn abusive, very personal matters, um, you know, and there's always this aspect of control and, and ego a lot of the time. We have a story in London, Ontario right now regarding a donation that has come from PetSmart Charities to Inova, and that has made for a pet-friendly expansion so that women who need to leave with their children or even with their pets now have an opportunity to take those pets with them. Believe it or not, that, that could have been a reason why a woman decided to stay. There was nowhere that she could go and bring the pet for the children or bring her own pet. The idea that, that women sometimes don't know how to leave because they they don't know where to go or, or how to make that happen. How often did that come up in what you have have been able to look at through your reporting? It comes up quite a bit. And you notice that um, with different um, sectors of women, so you have um, the, the women in my story are Muslim women, and a few of them that I talked to were um, you know, immigrants or refugees, um, a lot of them had language barriers, so they have difficulty kind of understanding a system that, you know, they haven't grown up with. Um, they don't know, you know, who's out there to help. They might not understand the language properly. Um, and then beyond just that, there's, um, you know, several other problems. So you have regionally, sometimes in rural areas of Canada, there aren't many shelters, so women can't even physically access them. Um, so across Canada, there's a range of of different problems that women face when they're trying to leave, when they're trying to go to shelters. How much is the problem of shelters themselves trying to stay open prevalent in this country? It's quite a big problem. Um, I would say shelters, you know, across, there's several different types of shelters. So we have short-term shelters, uh, which offer, you know, shorter stays, and we have um, longer-term ones, so second-stage housing, uh, all of them kind of across the board have very tight budgets. Um, across Canada, there's no real uh, uh, cohesion in terms of how much money they get from governments. Uh, there's a real patchwork. Um, and that's something that, you know, all the kids have been pointing out that shelters in, you know, one province may have more money than others. They might abide by different rules. Uh, and we need a strategy to fix that. We're talking with Mohammed Betty, global news reporter, talking about Broken, which is a global series on violence against women. Do you sense that that conversation exists, or is that still a conversation that needs to be had? The part of this series that we really want to um, address is that really this conversation is not happening, happening enough. And we're looking at violence against women 30 years after the Montreal massacre, and what we've noticed is that you know, the conversation has stayed relatively the same as it was 30 years ago. We see headlines about women being abused. We see headlines about women dying, underfunding of shelters. Um, and, you know, there hasn't been much change. And that just kind of proves that we need to we need to move forward in some way. 
The story that you outline that we touched on at the beginning of our conversation, the idea that someone had been given $20 to spend on spices and instead had spent 22 and was slapped across the face in her own kitchen for having done that. What happened to that person? So she actually um, stayed in that marriage for quite some time. At the end, I think she had been married for more than two decades by the time she left. Uh, and she stayed. She told me she stayed because she didn't want her. She didn't want to leave her kids. She didn't know how she was going to survive financially um, as a single mother. Uh, she eventually left. Um, she had a little bit of a big breakthrough, I think, when she started seeing a psychiatrist. Um, she left that relationship, but she struggled financially for some time. Uh, she moved back to Pakistan, where she had immigrated from. Um, she moved back to Canada after that, and eventually she ended up at a women's shelter because it's just it was really difficult for her financially. And in hearing that story, what what is it like for the person telling it now? Uh, she was visibly shaken. I think a lot of... Um, women that, you know, encounter these kind of situations and deal with the abuse for so long, the mental health implications of that, you know, last far, far beyond, you know, the years that they actually endure, endure the abuse. It's a work in progress for her. And I think, uh, you know, just the fact that she, she cried several times during the interview just proves that, you know, we need better mental health support for, for survivors of abuse as well. And we need those conversations to happen more often and maybe have more mm-hmm. of a result. Right. Well, Maham, thank you so much for your contribution to this series because it's it's laid out so that it really is grabbing attention. So please keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. That's Mahama Betty. She's a reporter with Global News, and the series is called Broken, and you can look it up. And I would encourage you to read it because it has some very passionate stories, some very important stories to read because they take you to places that are normally behind closed doors that we don't get to see that certainly you wouldn't necessarily want to see. You'd be left with, okay, what do I do now? How how do I help this situation now that I've been made aware of it? But in a way, that that's kind of what we need. We need more of these stories to exist so that you can have that conversation and you can get more synchronicity across the country when it comes to shelters. I mean, we have shelters here and it is difficult for them. They are They are underfunded for sure. They are understaffed, for sure. I mean, it's very easy for us to, you know, think, oh, well, a shelter. Yeah, that that must have all kinds of people. That, you know, there must be so many people helping out, caseworkers and medical professionals. That's not the case. It really, really isn't for the most part. How do we change that? Well, it... It involves finding more money to change this, and it ends up in a very long line of a lot of cases that need money to change this. And unfortunately, it isn't very easy to find it. Okay, there's still a pretty popular school of thought that those impeachment hearings in the House of Representatives in the United States last week will continue on. Well, they're done. The public part of it's done. But the reports will now be written. Everyone will celebrate Thanksgiving in the U.S., and then they'll give that. And the likelihood is that they will decide to try to impeach the president. It will go to the Senate, where it will die. 
because the Senate is controlled by Republicans. So that's kind of the Coles notes of what could play out. However, there is something that has come out of the impeachment hearings that has people saying, just a second, I didn't hear that right. And it's this name, Kiev. 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 You will now hear people saying Kiev. And you'll wonder, what are they talking about? I don't know that word. Unless someone's name is Kievan, there's no reason for you to say Kiev. So, what is Kiev? Well, it took place when Nate Silver kind of asked a question. Wait a minute. You're saying Kiev, but you mean Kiev, right? So he put together a 30-second video in all of this, and it looks at the transliteration from Russian. It looked at the preferred Ukrainian transliteration, and it says if, if you actually simplify things, it should actually have been pronounced not Kiev, but Kiev all along, or so he has said. So we put our crack staff to work here on London Live, and... Uh, What we did was we came up with another video that was made by a Ukrainian guy extolling the virtues of traveling to the Ukraine, which is a a very nice spot. There's a lot of neat things that go on there. But this guy talked with Ukrainians. So if we're to pronounce Kiev, Kiev, let's listen to what he says. Kiev, a city not yet discovered by tourists. That's why we're here to discover it for you and also put it on your travel map. Hello, welcome to Ukraine. Okay, so I don't know if you caught it there. Nelson, could we play that one more time? Kiev, a city not yet discovered by tourists. That's why we're here to discover it for you and also put it on your travel map. Hello, welcome to Ukraine. All right, so we we heard it pronounced twice there. Uh, The guy who was hosting it seemed to say Kiev, and then the trio of girls who said basically, hi, welcome to Kiev or Kiev, said Kiev. So what do we have here? You know what we have here? We have a Caberlet-Caberlaw situation. You remember this? The two brothers who played in the National Hockey League, Thomas Caberlet, played for the Toronto Maple Leafs a bit. Frantisek Caberlet, played for the Carolina Hurricanes. One, Thomas, pronounced his name Caberlet. Frantisek pronounced his name Caberlaw. And they were brothers. I don't think we're going wrong here in still saying Kiev. So all you smarty pantses, this is like RBI and RBIs. When somebody decided, you know, it's runs batted in. So it should just be RBI. No, it's runs. It's plural. The run, It's not run batted in. It's runs batted in. It's RBIs. But that argument continues, and you still hear people saying RBI, plural, and RBIs, plural. So that's not going to go anywhere. That's just somebody's personal preference. This is not going to go anywhere, just like the two brothers, Caberlet and Caberlaw, couldn't figure this out. It's still okay for you to go home tonight and make chicken Kiev. For the first time in 29 years, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are Grey Cup champions. How hard has it been for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to win the Grey Cup? Well, look at that number right there. 29 years. 
There are nine, sometimes eight, back to nine, sometimes eight, back to nine again, soon to be ten, teams in the Canadian Football League. So if you factor that in, they should be winning at least once every, what, well, in that span, about eight times, or three times in that span, about that? Am I doing my math right? It hasn't happened that way. Kyle Walters, native of St. Thomas, took over the GM role in 2013 and built the team that yesterday walloped the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Calgary, Alberta. We go to Calgary, Alberta right now, where we find from Global News Radio 680 CJOB in Winnipeg, Christian O'Mell, a Fanshawe graduate. Christian, how are things? Mike, it's great to be here. I'm standing uh, just a stone's throw from McMahon Stadium, and uh, we've already had a number of Blue Bomber fans that are heading home say, Go Blue, talk about how crazy this has been. Looking forward to getting back to Winnipeg, the big parade, which is Going to be sometime tomorrow, midday, it looks like. We don't have the exact details yet, but it's been a long time since there's been a parade with a championship trophy like this in our city. You did the math there. Don't forget, there was that American expansion era at one point. So there was more than just nine for a couple of years there. But that's no excuse for this team. This was their sixth try at the Grey Cup since they last won it back in 1990. They finally get it done, and in completely convincing, dominating fashion, there was no doubt who the better team was last night. And thousands of fans made the trip here to Winnipeg for a sporting experience they will never forget. So you are standing right near McMahon Stadium where the game was played. Have you left the area since last night, or or has this just been a nonstop party in the snow? I have not left the area since last night. Uh, There's not a lot of establishments around the stadium, I'll be honest, but there were fans everywhere. There's actually a big tailgate tent that they had a party going in last night. I know the Grey Cup made its way around bars in Calgary last night. I didn't I didn't follow the cup. I was kind of tired. It was a long day. It's been a long week, Mike. I've been here since Tuesday morning of last week, and we've been following the team, following all the festivities since then for CJOB, posting all kinds of stuff online. It's been a blast. It's my first Grey Cup that I've ever been to, uh, the one that was in Winnipeg in 2015, right after I graduated from Fanshawe. It was, uh, I was low enough on the, the pecking pole that I didn't get to, to go to the Great Cup. But this has certainly been an amazing experience to be on the field last night, doing interviews with players, to talk to the coaches that had been uh, part of this rebuild effort after so many years of failure. They were just getting closer and closer to the pinnacle, and they finally reached it last night. I'd never been in a, in a championship locker room last night, Mike, and uh, cigar smoke, the smell of booze, it's sticky. But the jubilation in there is something that I won't forget. And you mix in a good dose of sweat in there, too. And, yeah, it, that's, it is an interesting atmosphere, an interesting smell. And uh, you'll get that out of your clothes, usually a couple dry cleans, and, yeah, it's all gone. We're talking with Christian O'Mell, who is with Global News Radio, 680 CJOB in Winnipeg, about the Blue Bombers winning. And you mentioned the coaching staff, the management that's been involved in a very long rebuild how do you think they got through it? How did they survive the rebuild without, you know, the organization saying, we got to go in a different way, this isn't working? Well, you got to praise Wade Miller, Kyle Walters, Mike O'Shea, because they practiced patience. When O'Shea was brought in the first couple seasons, they weren't good, but they had to really press the reset button and gut the roster. So there were a couple lean seasons, but then they win 11 games. They host a playoff game in 2016 against the Eskimos, and they get blown out. The next year, they go on the road to BC. They kind of blow a game. Then they get the chance to go to the West Final after winning in Saskatchewan last year. 
They go to Calgary, and their offense can't do jack. This year, they kind of bring it back. They get Willie Jefferson, who is just a complete difference maker, most outstanding defensive player in the league this year. He's huge. But the, the crazy thing is the adversity this season when in September they lost three out of four games. They're, Matt Nichols was out for the season. Chris Treveller wasn't quite getting it done. And then they go and acquire Zach Caleros from the Toronto Argonauts, which was only possible because Jim Pop got fired. Jim Pop didn't want to trade Caleros. But when Pop got fired, Pinball Clemens and Kyle Walters got on the phone. 30 seconds before the trade deadline, they got the deal done. And I'm pretty confident in saying if Zach Caleros isn't a blue bomber, they don't win the Grey Cup. So he comes in, doesn't lose a game. It's been a wild, tumultuous season, but they never gave up. They never made any knee-jerk reaction moves. And here they are today, sowing the seeds of that patience with a Grey Cup victory. Isn't it wild to go back and look at all the things that had to happen or all of the things that did happen, went right, in order for a team to win? It's incredible, and I, I always thought that for a team to break a drought of this magnitude, one of the longest in the CFL's history, that it was never going to be smooth sailing. They weren't going to go 16-2 and two and roll through the playoffs, host one game, and then go to the Grey Cup and win. It was going to have to be some kind of twisty-turvy, topsy-turvy, lose faith, who kept the faith in September again. It looked like everyone had written them off. No one picked them in Calgary. No one picked them in Saskatchewan. Barely anybody picked them yesterday against Hamilton. What do they do? They give up 39 points in three playoff games combined. They forced seven turnovers yesterday and turned the ball over once themselves, but it was meaningless. It was late. They took care of the ball, and as simple as it is to say win the turnover battle, they didn't just win it. They destroyed the turnover battle, and their offense was steady. The run-pass balance was, you know, CFL's a passing league, and it has been for a while, but the Bombers were old school. They ran the ball more than they passed for, really, in a lot of these games down the stretch, so... It's, it was an old-school win. It was something to define this blue-collar city to see their team get it done for the first time. And I, Like, I'm 27. I wasn't alive the last time they won the Great Cup. <laughs> there are people that were, you know, kids when they saw their first one in 1990. Now they're raising kids who are now seeing the first Great Cup win with their parents who hadn't seen it since 1990. So it is a generational sports moment in Winnipeg, and this is something they're going to keep the celebrations going. The team's arriving at the airport at 3 o'clock local time this afternoon, and I'm expecting thousands of people there to greet them, just like there were a ton of people at Portage and Maine last night partying. It was fairly above zero. It was kind of rainy. That did not stop the spirits of this these people who have been waiting for so long to have something to cheer about. That's amazing. Well, Christian, thank you so much for the time today. Enjoy the flight back, safe flight back, and enjoy the celebrations once you get there. Thank you very much, Mike. Have a great day. That's Christian O'Mell. Fanshawe College graduate, spent some time here in London, now working out at Global News Radio 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.